Matthew's usage of Christ, but he's using the title specifically to call the Jewish audience to the birth of the Messiah, the Savior. Of course, the birth of the Messiah would be unique and special. For all things, all special births throughout the history of the the people of Israel were unique and special. Every one of these births is God making a way when there was no way. Luke says it well in, first, in Luke 1.37, for nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe nothing will be impossible with God? Starting with the genealogy of Matthew, uh, genealogy, Matthew is showing Jesus' unique and legal right to be king. Then moving to his birth, he is connecting Jesus to a long line of impossible births. Of course, nothing will be quite like the impossibility of the birth of Jesus Christ. Point number two, believe in the virgin conception. Believe in the virgin conception. Now, Matthew does not emphasize the virgin birth but he emphasizes the virgin conception. Now, it was more common for us in our culture to use virgin birth, but Catholicism adds additional meaning to the phrase, which I think is unhelpful. I'd recommend for the future using the term virgin conception because this highlights Matthew's argument. So in the second half of Matthew 1.18, we read, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The text is very clear. Mary was found to be with child before they came together. It was impossible for Mary to be with child since she was a virgin. This was supernatural. It was a miracle. Matthew does not share all the significance in this moment. He merely shares the facts of the birth. Jesus is born of woman and born of God. He is truly God and truly man. If you deny the virgin conception, you deny Christianity. Let me say that again. If you deny the virgin conception, you deny Christianity. The Jews would have believed in supernatural births. This was part of their, a key part of their history. Matthew is showing how this supernatural birth is different from all the others in that Jesus was both born a, with human and divine nature. So if you dev- deny the virgin conception, then you deny that Jesus is truly God, being born without sin, without a sin nature. Luke adds the phrase in his gospel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, speaking to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus is holy at his birth. He is without sin. He does not have the sin nature from his Father. So if you deny the the virgin conception, you also deny that Jesus is truly man. He was born of a woman so that he could re- represent and take the place of man. One scholar notes this, I quote, His father, in essence, was God through the work of the Holy Spirit. His mother was 
fully human woman, Mary, as fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins, for which finite humanity could not atone. As fully human, he could be our adequate representative and substitutionary sacrifice. If you deny the virgin conception, you deny Christ, period. You deny his birth, you deny his life, and you deny his salvation that he freely offers to sinners. So much of the Christian life is tied to the virgin conception. Let me just read one paragraph in Hebrews, which I think helps explain the significance of the virgin conception. So Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 18. You can just mark this down and hear. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angel, not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, like you and I, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So just let me highlight a few things. The virgin conception delivers you from death. It delivers you from the devil. It delivers you from the fear of death. It makes propitiation or atonement of your sins possible. It gives you a high priest who is able to help you and understand you when you are tempted to sin. This is not a doctrine that can be ignored or denied. It is essential to our Christian faith. As Matthew continues to teach on the person and work of of Christ in the gospel, the human and divine nature will be crucial to the identity of Jesus the Christ. Number three, believe in the character of Joseph. Believe in the character of Joseph. Now remember, I'm using the word believe because he's, he's, he's trying to appeal to Jewish people who are skeptical, and Matthew wants them to believe that Jesus is the Christ. So there's different things that he sprinkles in these few verses. One, I believe, is the character of Joseph. Now Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They were promised to each other, and therefore any sexual relationship between them before their marriage, before it was consummated, or with someone else would have been considered adultery. A betrothal was more legal and binding significance than our engagements as you see Matthew already being referred, uh, uh, referring Joseph to her husband. Look at verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Matthew just highlights the character of Joseph. He was a just man and did not want to willingly put her to shame. He did not want to make a public spectacle of her sin. See, in Joseph's mind, the only logical conclusion was Mary was unfaithful, and she had become pregnant by another man. Joseph was just and a reasonable man, and he did not believe Mary. 
Now think about this. He's writing to a Jewish audience, and he's saying, Joseph at first did not believe Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We will see throughout the rest of this text how quick Joseph is to obey God, to be taking Mary as his wife and even giving the name of the child Jesus. Let me just make a point here. We need more people like Joseph in our culture. We need more people like Joseph in the church. We live in a, a got-you culture who, who, where, where, where people love to publicly shame people for their sins. A just and righteous person will be careful to bring people to public shame. Let us think carefully before we announce the sins of others online or in a small group gathering. Just because we know of sin does not mean we should share it. I believe Matthew is highlighting Joseph's character so that the Jews, hearing this gospel, would desire to be like him, who at first did not believe, but with more evidence, he changes his mind. The evidence came from an angelic dream, which is the next point. Believe in the angelic vision. Believe in the angelic vision. Matthew is again shining a spotlight of uniqueness for this event. An angelic pronouncement in a dream is a sign of supernatural revelation. And let me just note, this is not the first time God appeared to a Joseph in a dream. Verse 20 and 21. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. An angel of the Lord tells Joseph that Mary is with child from the Holy Spirit and that he should not be afraid to take her as his wife. The, the angel also reminds Joseph of his lineage, addressing him, Joseph, son of David, which connects the audience back to the genealogy, but awakens Joseph about the promise that would come through the line of David. Reminds Joseph of his heritage and the, the prophecy connected to his lineage. The angelic announcement in a dream would be further evidence to the Jewish audience of the legitimacy of a supernatural birth. Joseph, who was heading in one direction, shifted based upon new evidence given by the angel. It does not make logical sense for Joseph to continue to take Mary as his wife unless God intervened. Matthew confirms a second time the virgin conception of Jesus. Beloved, every time you see something repeated in the Bible, it's, it's, it's one way the, the Holy Spirit is shining a, an important spotlight upon it. Matthew further draws our attention to the significance of this moment using the word behold. Behold before the angel appears. Matthew is appealing to the Jewish audience to consider the evidence even as Joseph himself, as he considered these things. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we just want you to consider these things. Consider what the Bible says about Jesus. 
Consider about the lives of the people that you know and how they live and how their lives look different than others. Why? Why does that make sense? Well, I think the only reason why it does make sense is because of this story that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin to save his people from their sins. Verse 21 is very significant. It says, She will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We'll come back to this in a moment. But Jesus, or Yeshua, means Yahweh is salvation. Jesus will be born for a purpose, to save his people from their sins. Oh, let us never get over that. Number five, believe in the fulfillment of prophecy. Believe in the fulfillment of prophecy. The birth of Jesus is not an isolated story, but it is connected to the story, the story of salvation that God has promised his people. This birth was promised long ago. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. As we've already heard uh, Jay read, Isaiah came to King Ahaz, the heir of the throne of David, because he had put his hope not in the Lord, but in the king of Assyria for salvation. He put his hope in a human power rather than God's supernatural power. So that text again in Isaiah chapter 7, it says, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. Give me a sign that is impossible, is what God is saying. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. God just said, ask for a sign. And he said, no. So there's that first sign of disobedience from Ahaz. In verse 13, and he said, hear then, O house of David. Again, hear it, house of David. He's the son of David, chapter 1 of Matthew. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew doesn't reference it here, but the Jewish audience would have been very familiar with this prophecy. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Neon, shining lights. Listen to this. He's going to give you a sign. And the sign is going to be this. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. A sign or an evidence to believe. To disbelieve the birth of Christ is to disbelieve the sign given by God and to weary the Lord with disbelief. Again, do not be like your forefathers, Matthew is saying. Do not disbelieve like Ahaz, who did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Again, take note, the virgin shall conceive and she will bear a son. Number six, believe in Emmanuel, God with us. What comfort, beloved, what hope. God has come to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us is the great promise of the Old Testament. Repeatedly throughout the scriptures, we hear this refrain, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Moses said to God on Mount Sinai in Exodus 33, and the Lord said, my presence 
will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us, so that we are a distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. See, we have found favor with God because we have his presence. It is God being with us that makes us distinct from every other group of people on the face of the earth. There are two groups of people on the planet, those who belong to God and those who don't. Those who can say, God is with us, and those who can't. There is no greater comfort in life to know that God's presence came to be with his people. Jesus Christ came to be with you and with me. He left all for us. Listen to this great quote by R.G. Lee, who says what Christ left for us. I quote, Christ, who in eternity restless, rested motherless upon the Father's bosom, and in time rested fatherless upon a woman's bosom, clasping the ancient of days had become the infant of days. What deep descent from the heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to displacement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of the earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory place. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined, born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling claws of poverty. No room for him who made all rooms, not place for him who made and knows all places. O oh, deep humiliation of the creator, born of the, the creature, woman. But in his descent was the dawn of mercy. Because he cannot, because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. God came to be with us. Lastly, believe in Jesus, the seed of the woman. Believe in Jesus, the seed of the woman. She will bear a son, and he will forgive his people of their sins. This is a long, long-awaited promise. Verses 24 and 25. When Jesus woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given, till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. She gave birth to a son, and he will forgive his people of their sins. In Genesis chapter 3, after sin came into the world and death with it, God sent, God said to the ancient serpent, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity or war between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The long-awaited offspring 
was going to crush the serpent's head. It is interesting in the Old Testament, the offspring is usually always connected to the father. The child was the seed of man, but not this child. The promised child will be the seed of woman. She will bear a son, and he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was the seed of woman, promised in Genesis chapter 3, because there was nothing from man. Jesus would save his people from their sins by allowing the, the serpent to bruise his heel. Jesus was bruised and wounded on the cross. On that cross, he was wounded so that we could be healed. He was crushed so we could be forgiven. He was cursed so we could be blessed. Jesus did not come only to die for us, but to be raised for us. In his resurrection, he crushed the serpent's head. His reign of terror is now over. We who are in Emmanuel, who have God with us, no longer fear death, for sin and death has been defeated in Christ. She will bear a son, and he will forgive his people of their sins. The seed of the woman was promised to defeat Satan, and that is exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Friend, Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the son of David, the son of God, who came to save his people from their sins. If you've never trusted in Jesus as the Christ, the Savior, do not delay. He came to be with us. He came to be with you. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came to save you from your sins. If today you repent of your sins and trust in him, all, all sins will be forgiven. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts. It's actually not a Christmas hymn. It's a song of the second coming of Christ. He actually wrote it after meditating on Psalm 98. My favorite line is the third stanza, which reads, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Beloved Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman promised in Genesis chapter 3 came to reverse the curse soon as it began. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. The salvation of the Lord will one day cover the face of the earth as far as the curse is found. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the virgin conception? Do you believe that he is Emmanuel, God with us do you believe he lived up to his name, Jesus, for he will deliver his people from their sins? Do you believe he has defeated that ancient serpent as the promised seed of the woman? Do you believe he's coming again? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He began our salvation at the cross, defeated the serpent in his resurrection, and will finally take that ancient serpent and throw him into the lake of fire, never again to hurt God's people, for there we will be with God forever and ever and evermore. Let us lift our eyes to believe not only in the birth of Jesus Christ, but in his return. One day, death will be no more. 
What Jesus began at the cross, he will complete as his coronation. The king is coming. Let us lift our eyes to the heavens, for she has born a son, and he will, he will forgive his people of their sins. Father, I pray very simply this morning, you would help us believe. Help us believe the evidence that Jesus is the Christ, conceived by a a Holy Spirit, born of woman, born of God, to save his people from their sins. Oh God, I pray everyone here would be his people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our last song, which is Joy to the World, I do want to just read Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is what Isaac Watts meditated on before he wrote this hymn. And as he read Psalm 98, he didn't think about all the, the weariness and the pain of this life. He looked to that great day when the Lord shall return. Psalm 98, God's Word says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Lift our eyes to the heavens, for she has borne a son, and he will forgive his people from their sins. Please stand.